Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. Today, we are talking to May, and May wrote in... Wanting to talk about something that Danae and I love to talk about, which is codependency. Um, but also it sounds like kind of more particular is really this idea of your struggle with control, right? And how that is showing up in your life and in your relationships. So I'd love if you could take us deeper. Okay. Yeah. Hello. Uh, I'm so happy that I'm here. Um, so, okay. So I found out I'm a codependent about two years ago and I've been trying to recover ever since. I have taken your classes on um, the TATLAP and they have been really helpful. So one of the things that I struggled most with was letting go of control because mm-hmm. I, I, I grew up in a really controlling family and in a community that control means care. So mm. that's, that's not good. <laughs> and I guess there's this thing. So in my head, I can't, sometimes I can't tell what the difference between being controlling and being caring. Mm. And that usually comes up in my relationship with my partner. Um, there are like certain stuff that I think if I like don't tell him that I'm, I just don't care about him because mm. I like, I know that this is in his interest. <laughs> so if I don't tell him, then I'm not, I don't care about him. I don't love him. But if I do, then I might come as, come off as controlling. So I'm, I'm really confused about that. Mm. Well, how does he feel? So I guess one of my, one of my questions that's coming up is I think it's really great that you've done a lot of work around your kind of personal mm-hmm. ownership in the relationships, right? And, and Mm -hmm. kind of tracing that thread back to like upbringing and stuff like that. But in your relationship with your partner, I'm curious to know, does your partner feel like it's control? Like, is that the conversations that you all have had between the two of you? Um, okay. So we had a breakup for like a couple of months. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was like, right when I found out I'm a codependent and before then I had no idea I was controlling. But when we broke up, I found out that all that time he thought I was controlling, mm. but I had no idea. So I don't want to, I don't want it to get to that place again. And also there are like certain stuff that I can give you an example of. Mm-hmm. Um, like for example, um, let's just say I can give professional medical advice. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when I see him having symptoms of let's like, say flu, 
I just can't help myself to tell him, okay, you need to do this or you need Mm -hmm. to take this. And I guess he feels like instead of me being there for him and like, um, being kind to him or like loving towards him, I'm just trying to control the situation and like, I'm in like a fight mode Mm. trying to get rid of the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, May, you said something, I think, well, a few things that I wanted to touch on. First of all, I think it's really important to, I understand that it's very much normalized to call ourselves a codependent, Mm -hmm. but I think that there's, um, there's power in the language that we use. And so if I sort of label myself a codependent, it's Mm -hmm. taking away from my ability to evolve and see myself as more than these tendencies, which Yes, we all have. They're very much um, a part of the way that we are raised in our society. Um, I love that you're bringing the control aspect in in the context of how you were raised, because so many of us were raised in paradigms that taught us that um, love equals control. And Mm -hmm. I think we have to hold ourselves with a lot of compassion around why we control. We control to um, create a sense of safety not only for ourselves, um, but as you spoke to, for the people that we love. We sort of a lot of times are raised with the idea that the people that we love should not experience discomfort or Mm. challenges or things that are hard. And I would argue that's arguable, right? I think there's actually a real necessity for us to go through hard things in life in order for us to build resilience and understand what we are capable of and learn our lessons. What ends up happening. Exactly. You know, mm-hmm. what ends up happening and what you're describing and your partner, I think, is feeling a little bit of is if I feel like I know what's in this person's best interest and I'm going to um, assert that that will on this person, I've sort of put myself in a parental role in this mm-hmm. person's energetic field. Now, it's just our inner teenager that is inevitably going to resist being parented, especially by our partner, because he knows um, not on a conscious level, but subconsciously that he is not meant to be parented by his partner. That's not a turn on. That's not Eros love. That's parental love. And so he's going to resist it. But the other thing I want you to think about, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this fee is that I don't think, you know, what's in his best interest because none of us know what is in another person's best interest, grand scheme of trajectory of life. There are things that you're bringing up in terms of like medical struggles that he may have, that if he's not tending to in the way that you feel like he should tend to them, he may get a really substantial lesson that he needs to learn through whatever he goes through and you don't fix for him. And so sometimes you're robbing him of that opportunity by swooping in and saying, I know what's best. I'll fix this for you. I won't Mm -hmm. let you suffer. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) It's just really hard to control myself from doing Mm -hmm. that. You know, it's like, I don't want the person that I love to learn their re- their lesson the hard way, mm. but I guess you're right. You know, I am robbing him of the, this opportunity. Well, let me ask you, I mean, it might, because it's almost like logically we understand this, but I guess in order to kind of take it a, a step deeper, if you could, because you mentioned, you kind of started with this idea that you grew up in a culture where control equaled loved, right? Like love, which Danae said is kind of all of our, all of our societies and cultures. Um, do you have, or can you remember a time when potentially you were controlled in the name of love that you wish you hadn't been? Yeah. So many times, honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
um, when, when I was a teenager, I wasn't really allowed to go out by myself. Like I was always had to be like with people mm -hmm. and that has like, it, it's like really hard for me. Like as an adult, it has caused me so much trouble to be able to live in the society and be on my own. And back then the way my parents thought was like, Oh, I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want you, like something bad to happen to you. So you can't like do this alone. You can't do that alone. So, but then that was really hard for me to be independent when I was an adult. Right. And I, and I wonder too, if some of the lesson that we, it's like, I can understand, right? Like there's a, there's a part of me that can say, okay, I, I understand that fear as a parent. Yeah. But what were some of the internal lessons that you learn about yourself when your parents say, you need to be safe and something's going to happen to you if you're not by yourself. Well, I, I felt like really like resentful and mm -hmm. I felt like they weren't letting me live and mm -hmm. learn my lessons. And I felt like, you know, I am not allowed to make mistakes, I guess. Yes. Like I have to live a certain way mm -hmm. and yeah, that's not good. And I wonder too, maybe, you know, the feeling of my parents don't trust me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Right. They don't, they don't trust that I can take care of myself. They don't trust that I can make the right decisions. They don't trust that mm -hmm. I can keep myself safe. Right. And so then as we become adults, sometimes those lessons start to translate into my thinking about myself. Can I trust myself? Can yeah. I make decisions yeah. for myself? Can I rely on my gut or my intuition? Because my parents told me very clearly that I shouldn't rely on my gut and intuition. So now here I am as an adult and a lot of our codependent behaviors in relationships show up because we don't trust ourselves. We don't know what that self capital S is actually saying. And for a lot of us, that comes from being parented by people who tell us indirectly that you can't trust yourself. Right yeah. now, the reason why I brought it back to that is now remembering present you and your partner if you can remember kind of viscerally what that felt like for you and now imagining being on your partner's side, right? In your partner's shoes and having this person who loves you essentially say to you, but I don't trust that you can take care of yourself. I don't trust you. You don't yeah. know good enough. I know better. Right. And how that mm -hmm. feels because you know how it feels to have that person who loves you say to you, I love you, but I don't trust that you could do this on your own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like that's like a silent sentence that we don't really say, yeah. but that's what we mean when we want to control people. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and I, I mean, I love that exercise. V. I think that's so beautifully done. And I think we also, again, need to hold ourselves compassion with compassion around why we do this, right? Mm -hmm. It's, I don't want to lose the person that I love. I don't want to, um, somehow feel that I'm unsafe. But also the thing about codependency is like, I get a little hit off being needed. Like if this person yeah. needs me, they're not going anywhere, right? Yep. Like it's not yeah. a conscious thing that we're doing, but that's a little bit, um, you know, our parents did that a little bit too. And it's, it's not like a conscious way they were trying to hurt us, but like sometimes we can over identify with that parental role and really like sort of, um, 
thrive on a sense of dependency. Like, I like that this person needs me. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel useful. It makes me feel like I have purpose. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's a little bit selfish though, unfortunately, because we're sort of not really thinking about as B was speaking to how that's actually making that person feel about themselves. Right. Yeah, that's very true. So what have been some of the conversations that you've had now that you've come back together with your partner? I mean, it sounds like you were able to talk a little bit about this feeling of control. I mean, is it, do you feel like it still shows up consistently? I mean, has there been further discussion about it with them? Um, no. So when, when we got back together, um, it was like after I was like in therapy and I was like, learning about myself and I was able to let go of a lot of the control that I had. And yeah, thankfully I'm not like, I'm not as controlling as, as back then. Um, so we don't really, we never like really had a conversation about, you know, me being controlling again, but it's just my fears because I just don't want to go back to that point. Mm. And it's just, it's like, for me, it's just hard to tell the difference of like my actions, like, is this me being concerned about them? Is this me being controlling? And well, um, here's another example, actually. Um, you know, we always talk about our non-negotiables, right? And I don't know, like, um, when I was, when I was a kid, I was in a very traumatic accident with, um, the other, the other party was in on a motorcycle. And so I'm terrified of motorcycles. And I always said I could never be in a relationship with someone who would ride a motorcycle because I would always be afraid, right? Mm. So that is my, like, boundary. Like, that is kind of, like, what I am not willing to put myself into, right? Mm. But if, let's say, like, four years into a relationship, my partner wants to ride a bike, I can't handle that. Mm. Is that me being controlling or is that just me stating my boundaries and just saying what I'm okay with and what I'm not okay with? Yeah. So I don't know. It's a great example. Big breath into that one. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the phrase, I can't handle that is where we start, right? Mm -hmm. How do you know you can't handle that? That is a belief that I have that I am not able to sit with the discomfort that comes up when I think about the possibility of losing someone um, in a motorcycle accident, right? Um, yeah. It's it's not something that's actually happened. It's something that my mind is telling me is an inevitable outcome. But mm-hmm. is it true? Mm-hmm. What else could be true? Mm-hmm. What happens in my body when I believe that it's true? And who would I be without that thought that this is a fact, that this is what will happen? Mm. Mm-hmm. I just feel like it's just something that I just, I don't know. It just makes me feel so anxious mm-hmm. when I think about it. And when I think about not having this feel, feeling, I just feel like there's no world that that could exist. Like I could, yeah. I cannot let go of this feeling. It's just a really irrational fear maybe, but I just can't help myself. Yeah, but man, I mean, that's, I, I want to pull back to, and, and again, this idea of like practicing grace. I mean, there are some fears like that, that you're not going to be able to like logic your way out of, right? I mean, it's a very mm-hmm. deeply held fear in the body, right? I have, um, I have a friend who 
lost a best friend and her new husband in a helicopter accident, uh, like right after they got married. And, um, it's kind of a rule in her home now that she's an adult because they were in their early twenties. It's like a rule in her home that nobody rides helicopters. Right. And so I love the practice that Danae is offering and that might be something for you because it sounds like you're also in your own therapy. It might also be something for you to want to explore a little deeper because I think too, you know, Danae, what you're circling around is really this feeling of like our fear of death, right? And then trying to pretend that we have some sort of control over that, right? So I might say to my partner, you're not allowed to ride a motorcycle because I'm terrified that you're dying. But we also know that your partner could walk outside and get hit by a bus, Right. And so at the end of the day, there's no amount of control in the world that's going to decide his fate, right? Or their fate. Like it's just not going to happen. We have no control over that. And so when fears or anxieties have such a hold over us that they start to control us and how we're able to show up in relationship, then it is worthy of doing a little bit of a a deeper dive into that. And I'm going to hold, I suppose, the kind of tension of the opposites, that that might be the kind of thing that you still at the end of the day decide, you know what, and this is still a non-negotiable for me. And you get to decide that, you know, and then the other person gets to decide (laughs) how they're going to respond to it, though. That's the thing. Like, you do get to decide what your boundary is, right? And if if one of your boundaries is, listen... I've done work around it. I have this trauma around it. It's just a deeply held belief that I have. I'm not comfortable with it. The other person then gets to decide how they're going to show up in that boundary, right? And if your partner says, well, I'm going to ride a motorcycle, then you can't obviously control that, right? Yeah, that's true. I 100% agree with everything you're saying. And I just want to devil's advocate a little bit in saying that I think that that is true. And I just want to like plant the seed that I think sometimes we can miss out on like, what if this in every other way possible is a beautiful human. And because I have this desire to control someone outside of myself, I won't let myself be in a relationship with someone who rides a motorcycle. And to the point that V was making, any of us could be taken mm-hmm. in any moment. No day is promised. And I understand this is me sort of attempting to bring logic into what is a very emotional response. I get that. And I do think that sometimes it is our work to do the deeper inquiry into a relationship with what we think is true about whatever time we're promised, because it's always an illusion that we are promised anything. The people in our lives are a gift and we're not promised any more than the moment we have right now with any of them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so I just exactly. want to like throw that in as, as a space to be in that inquiry of planting that seed as well, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. It is really sad that it's like out of our control, but yeah, it is the reality. It is what it is, I guess. Well, and there's, there's some, you know, there's some amazing trauma work that can be done mm-hmm. around that particular trauma that you went through and where and how it is stored in the body and in the psyche mm-hmm. at far, far, far deeper levels than our logical conversation is ever going to even remotely scratch, right? I mean, we could have these kind of conversations all day long. It's never going to get into the core of what that anxiety is because that is held deep, deep, deep in the body and the psyche, right? And so mm-hmm. if that is something that you feel is a challenge or is potentially holding you back, you know, through that anxiety, like Danae has said, then it might be an avenue to explore. 
yes, it ladders up to this feeling of control, right? And I can see that there is a very strong connection between them, but also that feels like a, a kind of particular tender experience for you, especially as a young person to maybe just hold singularly, like hold on its own as a way to heal. Because I have a funny feeling that if you were to kind of dive into, let's say some more somatic work, let's say some more trauma related work, that particular memory that you hold and how that affects your desire to control. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of kind of connecting tissue to then how you show up and wanting to control now in other ways that don't have anything to do on the surface with motorcycles. Yeah, that's true. It's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, may I, I, I think this was, I think this is really powerful because I feel like maybe more than you realize, so many of us struggle with this version uh, of ourselves in relationship. Right. And I just want to commend you for kind of doing the uncomfortable work of like calling yourself out in it and being like, Oh, I don't like that. Oh, I don't, I don't like feeling controlling, you know? Um, and I would, I guess just offer you maybe one more kind of suggestion, which is to continue to be in dialogue with your partner about this because okay. we can be self-aware and that's obviously amazing. Um, and sometimes it takes that mirror from the person that we love um, to continue to go deeper into this work, right? Mm -hmm. And if we can be open to hearing it, if we can be open to the icky feeling that comes up when our partner says, hey, <laughs> you're doing that thing again, right? Um, it just it just affords us like more and more opportunity to work mm -hmm. on it. You know, because if I yeah. if I look at myself in a bubble, if I didn't have a kid and a partner that were kind of pretty constantly reflecting back to me when I am stepping into my like controlling nature, I would have been able to do a lot of work on it. But I know that I've been able to do far more, <laughs> you know, through yeah. that experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds amazing. I would definitely talk to him tonight, and yeah. I will look into the trauma work and the somatic work. Yeah, may do us a favor and. Write us an email. Let us know how it goes after you talk to him. I want to hear. I will. <laughs> okay, I will definitely. Okay. You know, yeah. I, I'm so glad that she went to that like deeper memory, which she like didn't share in the beginning. Because um, I feel like as a, an example for people who are listening, I mean, listen, this was like a 20 minute conversation, right? Mm -hmm. But as therapists, I mean, this is the kind of work that we get to do, which is like, well, let's continue to follow the thread. Let's continue to kind of peel back the layers of conditioning, the layers of fear, the layers of trauma that, and you know, eventually over time just kind of compile and like harden, right? As we go through life and, and we get to go back to those moments and say, okay, well, this might be one of those nuggets that is really important actually to get in and, and do some further healing around because it's showing up in your relationship outside of motorcycles. Yeah. I mean, I love, I think she's such a beautiful example of when we take personal responsibility for like, what is my part in this, which she was just so beautifully willing mm -hmm. to do. I think that is when our relationships can be a source of healing versus mm -hmm. a place that we sort of hide out from doing our inner work. Like if this person just lets me control him and like, we're just in this constant battle back and forth for control. I think we can really miss out on the opportunity to understand like, where did this originate? Um, is this true about who I want to be? Because there's no way that anxiety around death is only impacting her and her relationship. I'm sure right. 
holds her back in other facets of her life. So it's like relationships can be such a deep catalyst for us healing across the board if we're willing to take our 100%, right? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think that so many of us, you know, the activation that comes from being challenged by a person that we love can run really, really deep, right? Especially those of us who have this kind of core belief that if I've done something bad, that means I am bad. And if you can get to a place where you start to maybe either unravel some of that belief or also just hold that belief outside of yourself and say, okay, that's here. And I, I know that that's there, but I'm still going to do my work to try my best to be open to hearing the feedback anyway. I think that to your point, there is so much opportunity for the the healing that the relationships can bring. But so many times when I see relationships that are not providing healing, it's when one or both people are in this constant state of like defended, egoic, you know, I am right. They are wrong. Fix them. There's nothing wrong with me. Um, and inevitably that's going to self combust, whether the relationship itself self combusts or whether your relationship with yourself self combusts, it's, mm -hmm. it's not sustainable long term, at least for somebody who wants to know more, go deeper, expand, evolve. Um, yeah, it's not sustainable. Yeah. And even if you aren't hungry to, to know yourself, like, I feel like we're just in this constant state of conflict and breakup yeah. and makeup. And it's like, I don't know, like, do we want to have that consistent drama in our relationships or do we want fulfillment? And I think the fulfillment comes from understanding, like, why is this something that keeps coming up for me? Why do I have such a strong desire to control? And why am I so activated when somebody tells that to me? Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's so much of what we talk about as therapists is like, if there's activation there, then it's worth looking at. Right. There's information there. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast. Mm -hmm.